drank the dark clouds deeper and ran the wild moon hunting alive with fur and feather as omen apparition we left the moon suspended and leapt back onto the ground Hello, welcome to episode 11 of the Antipodean Arts Podcast. I'm sitting here with Brody Ann, our little tech friend or our great tech friend, Luke Cloud Dancer. And I would like to take this moment fully to acknowledge that we are within and embedded in Yagara and Turrbal country. And I want to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging honor the immense and continuing enduring work of dealing with colonial and imperialist uh, constant interruption since invasion and continued occupation. I wish to express my deep gratitude for all the powerful strength and survival of culture and song and politics and justice and living day-to-day, night-to-night lives that I get to see and all that I don't get to see, which is most of it. And I acknowledge the spirits that make up the sacredness of this land that I am blessed to live in. Blessed be. Blessed be. How are you, Brody Ann? I'm well. How are you? I am uh, also well. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited I'm for excited. our interview today. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I feel very lucky and very blessed. We are linked to someone far across and in, indeed to, to, to our, our, our motherland. <laughs> um, or old blighty, as, yeah. my, as my granddad would say. Yeah, and I'm sure... A lot of people who listen to this podcast will be very excited to hear from someone um, living living in the place that this person lives in. So, without further ado, I'm just going to go into introducing this person. So, um, tonight we are going to be conversing with and asking a bunch of questions to Raven Edgewalker, who is so many things, including an initiate and teacher within Anderson Ferry and Reclaiming. Um, and uh, Raven also um, is the a co-founder and co-teacher within World Tree Lyceum Mystery School, um, the owner and uh, creator and artisan of um, Green Woman's cra- Green Woman Crafts, which is a twenty-one-year-old pagan business. And Raven happens or does live in the landscape of Somerset, which some of you would know very well or some of you would know about or yearn to know about or maybe have no idea about and you're going to learn something about it tonight so that's super exciting hello raven hi it's lovely to be here yeah thank you for inviting me of course thank you so much so what is it like to be living where you're living so many of us here i know our listeners in australia would be uh very envious to hear all about it I've got to say I'm incredibly lucky to be living here. It is, you know, I'm looking out my window and there's a storm rolling in. The crops, it, it is Lammas here and the, some of the crops have been harvested, some more are waiting to be harvested. And, you know, it feels that we are sitting on the turning point of the year. It feels the land is very alive. It's very deep. Magic and ancestors have walked here 
oh, for millennia. And my ancestors have walked on this land that we call Britain for millennia, I believe. So it's it's very exciting. It's very alive. I am able living here to feel very connected. And it's a very beautiful part of the world. I can see it in my mind as you're, I mean, I got the goosebumps. I've got the goosey pimples sitting here just <laughs> listening to you describe Lummis there. Um, you can't even ask what would be your favourite part about it because I think you, you summed it all up there. But um, whereabouts exactly are you living at the moment? And and um, I do know you've got a connection to Glastonbury or that you you visit quite frequently. Yes. So I'm I'm fortunate. I live about, I'm going to say eight miles, which is about maybe 11 or 12 kilometers south of Glastonbury. So I am, you know, very close, you know, I am part in living in part of what we call the sacred landscape of Avalon. I'm a couple of miles away, uh, three or four kilometers away from, you know, um, Virgo's breast, you know, part of the uh, astrological landscape of Glastonbury. So, yeah, I'm fortunate I get to go into Glastonbury pretty much whenever I choose. Um, And, you know, Glastonbury itself is, you know, one of the, you know, the centers of, you know, pagan, you know, um, spirituality to pagan pilgrimage in the country. Um, You know, people from all walks of pagan life, new age, uh, um, will uh, visit visit Glastonbury to connect to visit you know our sacred wells, the Chalice Well and the White Spring that bubble up from the Tor, which you know, are as magical as they sound. <laughs> I'm like beaming, my mm. my cheeks are hurting just watching you describe it. Um, do you also uh, feel or or you would sense? I'm sure like ley line energy, energy or lines that intersect there. Is that something that you you work with or you? It's it is something that I have. You know, my logical scientific brain. Once upon a time, I was a scientist. Wants to dismiss, and mm. when I am standing on that tour, whether they are ley lines, whether they are energy lines intersecting, you can feel them. You. Know, you can feel that energy buzzing. You can stand on the top of the tour and almost feel that you can see or feel across the country in all in all realms and in all directions. It's almost like standing under a lens. Mm. And you know, it makes it I find it makes it so easy to expand my awareness outwards. Mm. So yeah. it feels that those you know energy lines, those ley lines, yes, are very present. And obviously that's where they would have been such a draw, not only to pagans, but to pilgrims of all kinds that would have travelled there throughout medieval times, ancient history. Absolutely. And, you know, it is still a centre of Christian pilgrimage. You know, we still have the abbey that, you know, Henry VIII all those years ago dissolved and trashed and sacked. And people do still come on Christian pilgrimage as Mm. well. There is something about the energy that entices and draws and speaks to people. Hmm. Isn't it true, Raven, that um, Joseph of Arimathea was said to have planted a holy staff there and then it became the, the holy rude tree? Yes. And you know, one of the hills just outside Glastonbury once in my lifetime and up till very recently grew what we call the holy thorn that was believed to have sprouted from Joseph of Arimathea's staff. Tragically, that thorn in recent years was vandalised. Oh, um, I was going to ask fort- you about that. I I heard about it here, and I just couldn't believe it. It 
feels, you know, when it happened, it felt like, you know, an energetic, you know, you know, you know a death. It was, mm-hmm. in, it was horrendous and immense in the community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've tried to replant it once or twice and it has been vandalized again. Recently, a few months ago, its stump was actually vandalized. Mm. Oh, Another time, and it feels sacrilege. It yeah. feels, you know, a desecration of both, you know, the sacred tree in and of itself and also our Glastonbury community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There's also, um, as you know, Raven, very well, I, I have had an encounter directly with the king of the, this particular hollow hill. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you know of the folklore and maybe even your own experiences with Gwynapni? So Gwynapneath is is said to be the fairy king, the lord of the wild hunt. And he is said, and I very much believe and feel that, that he lives under the tor. In the land behind the land, under the tor, are tunnels where his realm lies. Mm -hmm. The White Spring was built by the Victorians as a water tower if you go into the White Spring building where the water bubbles up from the floor and down from the ceilings, you can walk to the very back and put your hand on the wall. And that wall, behind that wall, is the entrance to the realm of Gwenapnuth. And at Sawan and Beltane, and when the thunder rolls, Gwyn rides out with his hunt and boils across the skies. Mm. And, you know, in the spaces between the thunder, I believe I can hear the yipping of the hounds and see their glowing eyes and their red ears and their white bodies racing across the skies. Mm. And, you know, that is something that I have felt and made the hairs stand up Mm. on the back of my head from the very first trip I made to Glastonbury when I was... Oh, I think 21 and, you know, so very excited and open and, you know, looking for any experience. And there on the top of the tour in a thunderstorm, it came. That's so incredible. Well, yeah, my hair is standing yeah, up. Yeah, my hair. I was going to say, my, you've made our hair stand up. And I, I do like to think that maybe you hear the beginning of the hunt when they burst through that wall. And, and I like to think that we we get to hear the end of that hunt or we get to hear that hunt as it, as it travels through the realms and through the sky. Um, this might seem like a bit of a basic question, but we wanted to, you know, for anyone who you have a deep connection with trees, deep connection with nature for someone who hasn't approached a sacred tree, a sacred uh, fairy hill, how does one go about it? I mean, some people who are listening probably do this quite regularly. Others might be, you know, wanting to to put their best foot forward. Yeah, trying to be, trying, <laughs> trying to, to do it the right, and respectfully. Not yeah. So I work a lot with building relationship, and for my my work with trees, my work with the landscape. You know, my first thought is, well, if I'm meeting a person for the first time, how might I want to meet them? And I might want to, you know, greet them. I might want to introduce myself, talk a bit about, you know, why I'm excited to be here, who I am, you know, what my purpose is and intention. If I'm meeting a tree, you know, that is exactly what I do. And that's what I do before I, you know, might want to rush up and hug it or put my hands on it. Generally, we, you know, with a few exceptions, we don't generally want to rush up and hug, you know, or, you know, a stranger that we've not met. 
you know, and then, and once I've made that introduction and really made the space and time, taken some breaths and waited for the response from the tree, the stone, the hill. So it's not just a formality for me. Mm. It really is part, you know, giving space. And if the tree says, not with it today, you know, to take a few steps back and think, okay, I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll come back another day. Is that okay? But mostly my experience of these beings, these places, are that they are very open and inviting and want to make this connection. So the next step might be the sort of metaphorical, you know, you've you got to understand I'm British and this is how, how I was brought up, you know, a handshake, yeah. you know, a, a le- you know, a le- you know, okay, I'm going to reach out and touch the tree, the bark very gently and, you know, and take a step back. Is this okay? Is this good for both of us? Yes. And trees are generally, you know, extreme, extremely welcoming. Enthusiastic Uh, consent. There should always be enthusiastic consent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. That people just think that we generally just run at trees and put our arms around them. And we're like, well, it depends if you know the tree or not. I don't know if you want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and... Not so much in Britain, but there are, you know, many trees in the world that, you know, you actually want to know a bit about before you meet them because they have, they're poisonous, their leaves are poisonous. Mm. Um, But really it is about consent just as much for me as it is, you know, with, with human relationships. So, and yeah, it's a little bit, you know, maybe it's a bit more challenging when, you know, we're not going to necessarily get a verbal answer. But this is where we can really open our senses. You know, we can listen, we can feel that, you know, and open our hearts. What is that reaction? So that for me is very much, you know, my first steps in building relationship with non-human beings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this segues nicely into the other question that we wanted to ask you, which is like, I know that you teach um, both in person and distance um, through online platforms, um, Ogham intensives, and you are someone who creates amazing um, Ogham sets and uh, and just, you know, know about it and not, it's not exactly one of those things, you know, a lot of people know about tarot and the Nordic runes and, and the I Ching. I'm wondering, like, please, what is the Ogham? <laughs> So, uh, you know, open a huge topic for, for me to geek for. I could Yay, go on for quite no, some time. we love I'll it. And, I'll try and be succinct. So the Ogham, or you know, some folk call it the Oam, is a system of divination with trees. It is rooted in, you know, you know, the loosely umbrella, you know, modern term of sort of Celtic, you know, Celtic spirituality. Um, and like the runes each there are 20 letters. It is technically an alphabet, but each letter of the alphabet is associated with a tree. The, you know, the first letter is birch. The second is rowan. And so 20 different trees are associated with the letters of the Ogham, 20 different European trees. And so it's a system for me, which is, I call a living divination system that the letters correspond to the energy of the trees. Each tree has associations. But as we were just talking about, we can actually physically go and introduce ourselves to the trees of the letters of the Ogham. So I can go and build a relationship with the birch tree. And through the Ogham, using that as a divination tool, 
build a connection with the energies of the birch tree and open to what that letter, if I pull that in a reading, as I would pull a rune or a tarot card, what that birch tree might have to say to me in that reading. So I find that really exciting in a way that connects me through divination to the landscape about me, to the living beings of the trees and opening to their spirits. You did an amazing job of putting that. I don't know what you were worried about there. That yeah, was that amazing. Was pretty excellent. <laughs> so I know that you've also encouraged people. I know several of my friends have done this work with you. And, you know, a dear friend of ours, Raven Pandora, said to me once that you really encouraged her to, you know, just, you know, and, and everyone to access the living tree people of the place, right? And to maybe discover or help co-create an ogham for that area. Um, could you say more about that? Absolutely. So when I first came to the Ogham, I found the books out there were often very brilliant, but also, you know, somewhat dry. It's hard learning an alphabet, you know, and learning the associations, you know, you know, and for so many of us, it's, you know, you know, I need to get into my thinking, learning, sitting at school kind of brain. And that's a turnoff for a lot of people. But, you know, it's about trees. How can we connect to trees? And I really began to take this idea and run with it and look at first, you know, as I spoke about how I can build the trees of the Ogham in my native landscape. But then people were coming to me like Pandora, folk in Australia, all around the world saying, well, I really am drawn to this concept, but we don't have the tree, these 20 trees growing in our native landscape. And, you know, I really wanted to develop a a system whereby people could work with this and build relationship with their own trees. So looking at taking the traditional associations, the energies of each tree. So, for example, starting with birch, which is the tree of beginnings, it's the first letter of the Ogham. And asking people, so in your landscape, what might be a tree that symbolizes beginnings? What tree in you know Australia, in your ecological region of Australia might speak to you of beginnings. And birch is also associated with cleansings and initiations. So what might that tree be? It might be a tree that you burn to cleanse your space, its leaves perhaps. It might be the tree that as the seasons turn, be the first tree that blossoms or the first tree that comes into leaf. And for many people, you you start going, oh, right, okay, I do know a tree that does that. Maybe it's not got all the same properties as the birch, but it's got some of. And so then we can move through the alphabet and begin to make substitutions and root this divination system, this system of speaking to the trees and learning from them and their knowledge into our own landscape. That's beautiful. I think we're both sitting here right yeah, now looking across the table other. going, I know a tree. We know that Look, tree. I know that tree. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that we've, um, oh, well, I've personally really been wanting to learn more about. And I know my partner who um, I do a lot of woodworking with and crafting with, that's his passion. It's what he wants to learn the most. He wants to know the magical properties of the wood, not just what they're best for. And he's in the process of discovering all that. So, I'm sure he'll he'll um, be listening to this and he's going to try and do exactly that same thing with native trees we've got here. We do have a lot of introduced species, but that's, yeah, that sounds like a very, not easy way, 
but a practical, it makes a lot of sense way of and going about it. And respectful and thorough. And respectful of it, yeah. Excellent. That's really exciting to hear. Um, that you know that someone else might take this work and run with it. That's that's you know I, w- I would love to be an, able to infect everyone with this idea that you know we can <laughs> we can build you know build our own you know layers of interpretation relationships as well as you know potentially still working with some of the traditional meanings and still having that ancestral link to to a language that or a system that we've used. That sounds absolutely. Fun. We'll have to send you the results. We'll try and take some photos of things we work on and make you proud. That would be really exciting. (laughs) Awesome. Um, I wanted to be cheeky and and, uh, quickly ask you as well about uh, Green Woman Crafts. So um, how did that begin? What does that consist of? I know that you're a multimedia artist, if I can use use that terminology. Um, Yeah, I'd love to hear more about it. Because you started in 1998? Yes. Goodness. So... In 1998, I was trying my hardest to become a marine biologist. I was studying, um, you know, this is many worlds away. I was studying for a doctorate and I was also, you know, several years into exploring, you know, paganism and a pagan path and, you know, both reclaiming and fairy. And I needed some income to supplement my, you know, almost non-existent grant um, and, you know, money for my doctorate. And also at the same time, I was looking for tools for pagan tools that weren't imported from China, that weren't, you know, mass produced and, you know, and were quite frankly, also not hugely available in any form back 21 years, you know, 22, 23 years ago. Um, Glastonbury actually was one of the few places that there were a couple of pagan stores that once a year we would be able to get to and ooh and ah over the tools that we couldn't afford. So I started making things for myself. And inevitably, as you know, people saw them went, ooh, 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 can you make one for me? And, you know, and a few people suggested, oh, well, why don't you do this fair or this festival? Because other people might like, you know, I was making wooden wands and rune sets and ogham sets and, you know, jewelry. And I love to work with natural materials. And, you know, and 21 years ago, Green Woman Craft, the the image of the Green Woman came to me in, you know, a vision um, and that became the name of the business. And I've and I've built it up over 21 years. I think 12 years ago, I went I quit my day job and went full time. And, you know, and here we are now. But I've always tried to focus very much on recycled, sustainable, found materials, not exclusively, but that has continued to be something that I've pushed and pushed and, you know, myself to look at more and more. And I make wands and runes and ogham sets and jewelry and divination sets and altar cloths and all kinds of things. And I gather spell supplies from, you know, the, the land around me and I grow many in the garden and, um, and that is my main source of, you know, livelihood. And at this point it provides me with an income, a full-time income, and it provides my business partner over in the United States with an income. He's now got a sister store to, um, to mine and I ship all around the world, which is amazing. That's awesome. That all sounds delicious. I think I need 
all of those things. <laughs> and it resonates with me too because it's something similar that happened to us. So you give me hope that that's something that, that we can build um, because it becomes out of necessity originally and uh, and then starting to work with materials and found objects. Do you use um, any animal products, any any bones? Because I myself personally use a lot of um, bones and a lot of fur and things like that, teeth, all the good stuff, and some people are opposed to that. How do you feel so about I, Yes, yes, I do. I absolutely do. And I, um, you know, my ethos is very much, you know, I'm not going to kill or harm an animal or a plant, mm-hmm. you know, to get that that. But if the, the if the tree is shedding its branches, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up a found branch. If the animal is tragically dead on the side of the road or in the bush, I will gather the bones. Um, a couple of days ago, actually, a friend called me and says, "Hey, Raven, there's a dead badger in the woods. Do you want you know the skeleton? Do you want it?" Like, yes, so please. we went on a couple of mile hike with, you know, gloves and black sack and buckets. And that badger skeleton is now residing in a bucket in, you know, in the garden, you know, being you know, defatted and degreased. And, you know, we may, you know, we did and we will make continue to make offerings to that badger spirit. Yeah. Um, but no, I find I, I, you know, I absolutely do use, you know, um, Animal materials when I find them and I find, you know, I feel as long as I can be respectful and, you know, to that, to the animal spirit, that is completely in line with my ethics, even though I completely understand that that's not for everyone. No, I agree. And I I have the same principle. So, yeah, I I understand what you mean. There's some people, um, I've got a roadkill kit in my car. All right, so we're on we're on the same yes. page. Oh, and yes. I almost feel that it's it's disrespectful to leave things like that, especially if if something's been hit by a car or it's been eaten by a domestic animal or something like that, uh, to make offerings and then make mm-hmm. sure that every part of that animal's used is is important. Yes. So, I, yes. I understand, and I can't believe you've got a badger. I'm very jealous. We um, at the most we get fox sometimes here, which is it's a pest, of course, but that's when we get excited. But never a badger! Oh my goodness! <laughs> never I'm a so, badger! Never a badger! I'm so jealous. <laughs> the badger, it, it, the badger is my first. I'm very, very oh, excited about the badger. They're one of my favorite. Um, I've got a few foxes in the process of being, you know, uh, prepared. I have a, a a pet ant hill in the garden that you know I'll I'll give the the bodies, you know, yeah. if they've still got flesh on to the ants to eat for a year or so. Yep. So. The ants will be getting the badger in a few days, I think. We do something similar here, but we, it's almost like fire ants, like the biggest ants I've ever seen in my life. And you kind of take, it's on my friend's farm, and you kind of take your life into your hands. You have to run towards the ant hill, throw the bones on top and run away before you get any. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess, Fear, would you, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about um, Anderson fairy tradition. And again, for some people, um, when they hear that term, they automatically think of fairies and fairy. Um, can you explain a little bit about what Anderson fairy tradition is and what that means to you? I know, again, a big, big, broad question with a little bit of time. You can, you can do this, Raven. We you believe in it. you. So, so Anderson fairy tradition is a tradition that rose up in the 1960s and 70s in California in the United States. Um, you know, a by a chap Victor Anderson, who is a you know really was a blind, amazingly brilliant shaman who 
drew together and channeled together spirits and traditions from around the world at a time when Wicca was also arising and becoming the popular tradition that it is now. Anderson Fairy is a tradition of witchcraft, not Wicca, though. You, we have some we have some similarities that people, you know, might might notice and recognise. But it really is a, a tradition of traditional witchcraft. It's a tradition of speaking of of talking to the spirits, of connecting. One of my initiators, it is an initiatory tradition, spoke of it and speaks of it as a tradition of building relationship and connection, which, you know, harks back to some of the earlier things that I spoke of and is perhaps why it appeals to me. It's a tradition of being in right relationship with ourself, a right relationship with the land, with our ancestors, and with the gods and spirits that we name as family within the tradition. It's often a very private tradition. There are some initiates out there who just really don't talk about it much. And there are some initiates out there who are far more public. And, you know, I very strongly believe, you know, you talk to 20 Anderson Ferry initiates and practitioners, and you're probably going to get maybe 40 different answers, (laughs) depending on the day, the time of the moon. (laughs) It's, for me, a very deeply personal tradition. Um, whereby I have learnt tools and I teach tools that enable me to be in better relationship with the beings that walk this earth, seen and unseen. It calls me to ever be a better human being. It calls me to be a better human being so that I may be best in service to the gods of the tradition of the world. Victor Anderson spoke, he would say that we, you know, we are all gods. He would say, God is self and self is God and God is a person like myself. So that calls to me to treat all beings, human and non-human, as gods. And for me, that really does begin to shift the way I look at and I'm in relationship with the world and all the world. If everyone who is walking through this world is also a god, I cannot walk in supplication and in subservience. I must walk through this world as a god and then take on the work that my fellow gods want me to do. Hello, lovely dog god. (laughs) Talking about my lovely god, yes, in the house. (laughs) Who is that? That is my 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 canine companion Finbar, who is Finbar. a greyhound hound cross. What's he crossed with? Is- Sorry, I'm dog mad, so I'm genuinely like bring him on screen. <laughs> I love. <laughs> He's a greyhound crossed with crossed with a deer hound. Oh so my he- god. Very big, very hairy, and he's currently swearing at the front door um, at the postman. Oh, I love it. I've got a, a husky cross um, Irish wolfhound with some remus. So oh, 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 oh. I'm a big dog girl. So that he sounds I, I, gorgeous. He is gorgeous. And I was <laughs> raised by my third parent, I say, was an Irish wolfhound. So I'm a sucker. But, yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. 
Well, even though Finn Barr could steal this entire show, I have a, um, on the oh, top- <laughs> he did, as as he should. I know that he has many fans across the world who, fo- who follow him on Instagram and Facebook. Wait, he has an Instagram? Well, I think no. Raven just shares f- videos. I'm so there. <laughs> Of of Finn running through like golden golden grain, oh. and <laughs> hopefully not chasing deer. Maybe Finn Bar and my dog Moose can be friends on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> so Raven, um, because people, you know, so fairy is a, you know, I I know as well that historically the word fairy wasn't always associated with the tradition. We had different names for the tradition. So yes. why do you think it became? associated with this tradition and and do you do you think it's kind of complicated yes it's <laughs> I, complicated. I agree so fairy did fairy when you know victor was creating crafting channeling putting together what we now call you know know as the anderson fairy tradition definitely had he had different names for it and then it began to become known as fairy and one of the stories um you know that you know was passed to me was it became fairy not because of the fae and the fairy and the fae beings but more because we work with the iron pentacle which is ferris and you know some you know and that is you know for some folk why the name ferris became fairy and you know and then you know but for a while, the spelling was F A E R Y or F A E R. Oh, I, with an extra E in there somewhere. I'm dyslexic and my spelling <laughs> so goes unless spellings. I write it down. Um, different spellings, and you know, and it became fairy the F E R I spelling in order to differentiate it from all the f- the threads of fairy witchcraft w- working with the fae. But, you know, again, you know, there are many different stories out there. And we do with a, a tradition, some lines, some people, some individuals work with the Fae more than some other people. Yeah. Um, my line isn't, is is not, I wouldn't say focus on working with the Fae. It's not one of our major focuses, though that is certainly something that we do. We work with the Fae, we work with the spirits of the land. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there is certainly some level of confusion when people, certainly when we hear it, Anderson fairy or just the fairy tradition, oh, you must primarily be working with the fae. Mm -hmm. But for many of us, the focus primarily is working on, you know, self-development, building, building relationship. If those relationships happen to be with the fae, great, Mm -hmm. but not exclusively. Mm. Yeah, what you say about, um, I know it was Cora Anderson, someone once, maybe it was Thorn Coyle, asked her, you know, what what is the point of this? And and I think Cora replied, to become a better human. Yes. And, and I was only meditating on this the other day. I was running the Iron Pentacle and she came, Cora came to me and she, she reminded me, she said, you know, this is all to become a better human. This is all to yeah. become a more whole version of yourself. And this is an unfolding initiation. And that, I think that's what breaks my heart open to this tradition the most. And I think the other thing which is super fascinating about it being called the fairy tradition is our like deep intimacy with the Iron Pentacle, and which I'm going to yeah. ask you about in a moment. And, and also like how um, folklorically 
um, iron and some tribes or some groupings of the good neighbors have an ad, you know, have an inimical or adverse um, connection and how potentially mm-hmm. this, um, this could be a metaphor for us of boundaries. This could be a metaphor mm-hmm. for us of definition and of self-possession, which in the fairy tradition, you know, we, we love to work toward. And I wonder about that. I wonder about how sometimes we call ourselves a warrior tradition. Um, so, mm-hmm. so I guess my question to you is like, I know I connect warrior and iron. I'm wondering about why, why do we go on about iron so much, Raven? <laughs> well, so for me, I want to go back way, way further away from the warrior tradition and, you know, t- Iron, you know, and, and you know, iron in our blood and iron in the stars. For me, iron connects us as beings of the universe. It reminds me the iron in my blood w- was star stuff. Mm. And it has come down through evolution, whether we, you know, the Big Bang Theory, our beautiful fairy creation myth, whatever creation myth or, or idea or hypothesis, how the world was created, the iron from the stars has become the iron in our blood, uh, the iron in our human blood. And for me, that calls me to remember that in this life, I am a human being and not a fae and not a plant. And I'm a human being with the stuff of the stars flowing through me. Mm. And as humanity has evolved, we evolved from stone axes, stone knives, stone arrowheads through to bronze knives and bronze swords, and then to iron Mm. and steel. And through that path of human evolution comes to me, reminding me, I have iron in my blood, the iron from the stars, the iron that we have forged into a warrior tradition. And what does that mean now? Mm. Who am I as a standing as a warrior? What what would I throw myself, what cause would I throw myself mm. into heart and soul? Yeah. I do this work to become a better human. So I may defend this world, other humans, our ancestors. So for me, it's a, a long process progression of evolution that Anderson Ferry is calling me into and calling me, you know, the Anderson Ferry initiation for me was a piece of that, my own personal evolution in this great long line of that iron coming from the core of a star. Mm-hmm. And the iron connects us one to the other. It connects us humans. Yeah. And it does for me create some boundaries between you know me and the fae i work with the fae i call them i name them but i am not they mm-hmm. there is a boundary there because i am human and the iron in the blood for me the iron pentacle the iron of fairy really reminds me of that and this working with the iron pentacle consciously mm. conjures those things for me mm. And this is important for those of us who do have intimate relationships with the good neighbors because we are humans having intimate relationships or somewhat, you know, intimate relationships with the good neighbors. And so we want to be able to come back home and not drag that intense, poetic, L-fame current into the center of our homes because we'd like not to be mad. Thank you very much. (laughs) Not all the time. Not all the time, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes madness brings poetry, but um, yeah. 
And for me, that iron is a piece of that, that remembering that I have iron in my blood, that I run the iron pentacle is a reminder to myself to come back to being human mm. in this lifetime. And who knows what will happen in the next lifetime? Mm. Yeah, we are definitely, we're, ma we're made of so much, aren't we? And then and then yes. there's the reality that here we are, we are humans and we have all these threads of unfolding and how we got here and we're still human. Like it's all there yes. together. Yeah. Um, so fairy is one of the roots of reclaiming and, and, and you are involved in reclaiming. So that's another tradition that I think um, some people might assume they know something about, but, you know, sometimes I encounter people saying they know something about reclaiming and then I just encounter uh, bullshit. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm wondering, you know, a lot of people know Starhawks associated with it and she is, she's one of the great, you know, she's one of the mothers and the founders of the tradition and still is within it. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as Fairy did give, you know, something to reclaiming um, and you were talking before about the... Um, becoming a better human and so therefore I want to know how to serve and be in right relationship with the land, the ancestors, my fellow humans, um, you know, those who are more than human, other than human. That is something that is central to reclaiming ethos. Um, could you tell yes. us a bit about the reclaiming witchcraft tradition? So reclaiming for me is in some ways the missing piece of my, in my relationship with fairy fairy is a tradition of you know poets it's a very individual tradition it's not a tradition of community some of us do come together in community but it's far it's not our focus of the tradition reclaiming is a tradition of community it is a tradition of human community um, I've just come off of facilitating an amazing online community building class you know, a, one of the core classes of reclaiming that we've in the last seven years have begun to really to bring into the tradition is one of community building. And we really are, we're talking about within reclaiming, building community, building human community and building healthy, you know, sustainable community in a tradition of witchcraft. Um you know, one of my dear friends, Irasanya Moon, you know, when, when poked, you know, said to me, you know, we were joking around, she said, well, you know, a collection of which, which is, is an argument. And, but reclaiming, we can acknowledge that, but we work with it. We try and work to build human community in this amazing tradition of witchcraft that is also ecstatic. Reclaiming has its roots, some of its roots in, Anderson Ferry. It has some of its roots in ecofeminism, in the feminist movement of you know the 1960s, the 1970s, the you know anti-nuclear movements in California in the 1980s. It has its roots in non-violence. It has its roots in political action, which is really unusual and unique in traditions yeah. of paganism, That's particularly true. back in the 1980s. You know. Witchcraft was a tradition of magic and, you know, spirituality. It wasn't so much, you know, actively as part of its tradition involved in politics mm -hmm. and in political mm -hmm. action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel really strongly that as someone who is trying to build a life around being in right, right relationship, mm -hmm. you know, this is important. And reclaiming names it, it centers it, it focuses on it. And you know, we're a tradition that 
involve you know is ecstatic experiential often um very spontaneous and also a tradition that focuses on sometimes trying to have some of these difficult conversations about discrimination racism transphobia and while there are people who are willing and wanting to be involved in many other traditions of paganism, reclaiming is one of the few traditions that I've encountered that centers this. And that for me, and you know, I've gone off as a slight tangent about my personal relationship about reclaiming, but that's one of the things that really draws me. And as I say, fills this missing piece and reclaiming is huge. You know, we have reclaiming folk on three, four, five continents around the world. You know, we're working with people in Australia, in Britain, in the US, in Brazil, in Finland and Israel. Um, because people recognize this power of, oh, right, it's not just about getting together and celebrating Sabbaths. It's about changing the world. Hmm. Okay. I can't, I don't even know what to say to that. I'm looking at and leaving going, that's so perfectly said. And, yeah, and yeah, well I mean, recently <laughs> being a part of a, of a ritual that made me feel all of those things. Um, it resonated. Do you feel that this is why, especially in, in such a, I mean, everyone always says the time that they're in when they were growing up, it's tumultuous. There's, there's fear, there's, there's political um, strife. But do you feel that's why not just reclaiming, but paganism and witchcraft in, in general has, is having another resurgence, all of this interest, because we're, we're think, see it, searching for that? I think so. I mean, I think, you know, I can, I, I for me, it's, that feels, you know, very, a truth. It feels very right. I think, you know, the resurgence, you know, or the upsurge in interest in witchcraft, you know, of course, it's facilitated by, you know, modern technology, which, mm. you know, is enabling people to also connect. And But I think people are increasingly, you know, looking for something, looking for that thing that they can tap into to change. Mm. And, you know, witchcraft is political. Yes. It has always been political, mm -hmm. whether it's named as such or not. You know, witchcraft was, you know, it's the, you know, that edge, that place of change, that place of discomfort. It's the antithesis um, of everything on... that they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we need that. You know, the status quo is, not, you know, is falling apart. You know, the divisions in our countries. And I can just look at, you know, the news I'm reading from Britain, from Australia and from the US at the moment. Mm. You know, and people are looking for a looking for something to give them a voice and a power. Mm. And I think, yes, neo-paganism, witchcraft, you know, particularly reclaiming, fulfills some of those needs. And this has been true, you know, if, if one does a serious study, and many have, of the trial records, yes. one discovers that a lot of the people who were accused of witchcraft and indeed were probably practicing some shamanistic, oracular, visionary, sorceress, something, certainly, and many of them admitted to having familiar spirits, um, and usually they were fairy people. Yes. Um, they would often discover those fairy people on walks of deep sadness and grief. And, mm. you know, like either because their landlord had just done, you know, had tripled the rent or um had you know raped them or um ha or their child had just died from starvation I'm, or their or their or, or their, their stock had died exactly in a field. and so this is yeah. the really interesting thing isn't it is that you know when i i think i say this all the time this is a deep passion of mine when we when we say we're witches because we are i believe that 
it is something we are. Um, we also have to n- grapple with the history of it. And we can't just ignore, especially as very privileged Westerners, we can't ignore the fact that still to this day, that word, the, the English word, is used to um, demonize and marginalize certain groups of people in, in various African nations, in Papua New Guinea. In, um, yeah. it, it happened up, up until recently in India, although the law changed. I don't know what the actual on the ground thing is happening. Um, but you know, and in the sixth, you know, in the fourteenth to late late eighteenth um, century in 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 Europe and North America, they were they were executing people for the crime of witchcraft. And we can say, oh, witches are fine and dandy and don't harm anyone. And it's like, there's a reason they didn't like them. (laughs) And it's not just Christianity. This happened before Christianity. The Romans Romans wanted them out of the city of Rome. Mm -hmm. The Vikings hated witches. And this this is named in pagan texts as well. And so obviously witchcraft is something in, 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 is a human phenomenon that rises through us in response to oppression. Yes, it is. And I think yes. yeah, and I think that's I think there's so much active oppression going on right now with these systems of domination and control that no wonder all these immune I like to think of witches as immune cells. Immune cells are just like lighting up in the body of the earth. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I felt mm-hmm. that too. Indeed. <laughs> I can just I'm just like <laughs> I'm following you on it. We we're actually having a similar conversation just about the art that will come from these things, the same uh, way I feel it's all connected, yeah. you know, well, whether it's activism, witchcraft, of course, is all art, mm. but the music, the, 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 um, the push and pull of, of, of things, we're going to have this reaction and this is part of it. So what would you say, Raven, are some of the things that you personally engage in when all of this become, all of this world shit becomes so heartbreaking and so overwhelming? How does your relationship with the mysterious ones, with your spirits, aid you? So I think, you know, there's two pieces. I mean, you know, one piece is certainly, you know, for me, my practice. Some of my work specifically with my spirits is, you know, reminding me that I am connected, reminding me that I am connected, seen and unseen to my ancestors, to the ancestors of the land, reminding me sometimes very viscerally that even if I am standing in the field feeling hopeless because I've read of another mass shooting on the news, I am not alone. Mm. And by naming myself and stepping into my power as a witch, I have power to create change. Maybe not as much power as I would like, but I have power. Um, My spirits call me into teaching um, and sharing, you know, sharing some of the things that I have learned and, you know, reminding me that, you know, through teaching, through mentorship, through being in relationship, through being in reclaiming in community, we are more than just ourselves. You know, we are more than those sort of one immune cells. We can get together and become, you know, a glowing organ of mm. change, if you like to continue your beautiful yeah. metaphor for you. Um, that, you know, my spirits show me, you know, do this, do that. Mm. How about this? You know, um, it, can you, you know, my spirits were very clear, you know, to me a while ago, we were talking, you know, I, you know, I was you know, talking with friends about offerings mm. and, you know, we'd been somewhere and, you know, people had, you know, tied, you know, non-biodegradable, you know, threads to trees 
as offerings. And we, you know, we had a very intense, interesting conversation about you know, how this really probably wasn't such a good idea for the tree. And then we just got into, you know, well, what offering practices? And, you know, and, you know, my spirits are saying, well, it's really nice to have a bottle of wine poured out on the ground for me. But how about instead of the money that you give, you pay to buy that bottle of wine, you give that money to the homeless guy that's sitting outside mm-hmm. the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How about instead of, you know, um, spending the money, you know, and, you know, pouring, you know, the honey onto the land, which I do appreciate, but you give time to social justice work. Mm-hmm. And for me, you know, that is, you know, a piece of, you know, the work that my spirits are very much guiding me into when I feel, oh shit, what the fuck can I do? Mm. Um, there are voices around me that say, well, oh, you know, the, here, here is something that you can do. Yeah. Mm. And that's, you know, just one very small example because I realised I could go on for a very, very long time. No, that's perfect. <laughs> and I think sometimes when it does become um, extremely overwhelming and, and you might be talking to, to fear or to my partner and just like, just it's too much. Uh, well, you almost have a responsibility with the privilege of the position you're in. Yes. To go outside, like you said, instead of pouring beautiful store-bought honey out as an offering with cream and milk how about planting some some dandelion planting some things that are going to feed some bees in your garden how about volunteering at at, um, a food Mm -hmm. shelter how about you know yeah all of those lovely things dropping by the neighbors with some vegetables for your garden doing some local trading doing some local teaching doing for me I feel this podcast things like that that we can use our powers for uh, makes yeah. it a little bit easier, and I feel like that's our yes. job as witches and edge walkers. I love, I love your name in on so many respects, and and feeling that that's our job as as those that walk the hedge or walk on the fringe of of um, worlds. Yep. So no, that made complete sense, yeah. Raven. I just yeah. want to thank you so much for um, talking with us, and hopefully we can have you back. Uh, as many times as you'll let us bother you. I know it's nice and early in the morning there for you, isn't it? Have we yes, woken you up? it's my pleasure. It's been great fun. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a privilege. Oh, that's exactly how we feel and we hope to see you again soon. And before yeah. we close this though, where can we, ac- like, where can we yeah. like, access all your stuff? We want you Tell to us, promote yourself. Pimp yourself now, Raven. We want to hear about everything you've got going on and how people can get in touch with you. So you can find me through um, my businesses, Green Woman, Green Woman Crafts. I have a Facebook page. Um, you can follow me there. I also have an Instagram account. You can also find me at World Tree Lyceum, um, which is the mystery school I co-founded and co-teach at, um, which I think are probably the two best places to hunt me down. And both of those have Facebook pages and Instagram pages. Mm-hmm. Um, World Tree Lyceum also has an amazing website um, and Green Woman Crafts is on Etsy and on eBay um, and one day will have its own amazing website, which is in the bare bones, you know, non-published stage right now. I'm too busy making things and talking to people about witchcraft. 
Good. I love that. Keep doing it. Keep, Keep doing, doing it. Keep doing the work of your God, Raven. That's exactly right. Um, can I ask just one quick question with the Etsy store? As someone who makes things and sends things overseas, how do you go with some of the woods and the ingredients that you make and create in the UK, sending them to us here? So I'm, you know, so I'm, you know, I do send wooden products to Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actually carried them through customs and I've declared them in customs mm. and they've looked at me and said, sure, fine, madam, that's no problem. So what I do make sure to do, I, you know, feathers, for example, are illegal to ship and I just don't ship them outside okay. of Europe. But for wooden products, I make really sure I, I, I freeze everything on Nuket in the microwave before, before it leaves me. And, you know, I declare it on the customs form, you know, as wooden craft supplies or craft supplies and, you know, and customs, I think had a problem once in 21 years. I love it. That was just a very selfish question because I'm going to be visiting your website when I get home tonight. So that's, you know, I probably... (laughs) I don't generally ship bones, you know, to Australia, mm-hmm. but, you know, there are, you know, um, I have done to the United States again, so long as they're clean and, you know, they're obviously clean. Customs aren't quite the horrible people always that we we think they are. Um, or maybe it's just because I'm a witch and, you know, I... Don't give away all our secrets. Yeah, don't tell them how <laughs> we get things through. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Raven. Thank you again. And wondrous. Blessings to everyone listening. And we hope you have a wonderful evening. Well, and a beautiful day to you too, Raven. Bye. This has been the Antipodean Arts Podcast. Music by Wendy Rule. The song is Wolf Sky.